0: Every day that passes, it feels like that narrative of very mechanistic reductionist thinking is it just feels more and more outdated and dusty on a shelf. That, it almost comes back to that definition of learning. What is it to connect to something more than ourselves? What is that point where in, in growing as people, we also choose to do something that's that's good for the whole? First part of the leadership map says you can change what you measure and you can change your definition of progress inspired by
1: nature. Hello, and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I am your host, Benjamin Freud. We are in partnership with Intrepid Ed News, which you can find on www.intrepidednews.com. You'll also find some of our articles there from Coconut Thinking uh, and uh, our podcast series as well. Today's guest is Andres Roberts. Andres is a guide to human development through reconnection with nature. His work brings together innovative approaches to leadership and change, wisdom from ancient cultures, and deep work with nature to support more whole and more generative forms of living and working for our time. He's the founding partner of the Bio Leadership Project, co-founder of Way of Nature UK, and a guide to contemporary rites of passage to support deep transformation. Recently, Andres has helped launch the Global BioLeadership Fellowship, in which he will talk about in this podcast a little bit, and this is a community of people who are changing the story of human progress working with nature. This is part of our series where we bring in people from outside of education to open up schools to thinking beyond so that we understand that everything is part of a systemic struggle and that change has to happen at a systemic level. And Andres is bringing in a tremendous amount of experience in leadership with corporations, but also in worlds of education. And in this sense, uh, the conversation will hopefully expand our thinking and our connections to the world outside of the traditional school. So without further ado, I leave my space to conversation with Andres. Well, hi, Andres. Thanks so much for being on our podcast. We're really interested in uh, some of the work you do um, and learning more about it and and also getting your views about how the Earth is moving forward, how we uh, as one of the species on the planet is moving forward and and how we can face some of the challenges, um, especially with uh, COP26 coming up and the IPCC report. and and everything that you guys are doing with the fellowship. So I'll, I'll open it up to who are you, what are your passions and how do you try to make a difference?
0: Great, thanks Benjamin. It's, it's really nice to join the podcast and um, um, yeah, some in, important, interesting stuff happening in the world <laughs> uh, to talk about. Um, My name is, is Andres Roberts and I am the founder of uh, something called the Bio Leadership Project, which at heart says there is a conventional business as usual story of, of human progress, of growth, that is at the root cause of so many of the problems that we're trying to put right in the world today. And explicitly we're saying, well, you know, if you look to a healthy natural system and if you look to nature, there are many aspects of it that suggest we can grow healthy, vibrant, sustainable, thriving systems. So how can we do more of that for humanity? by reconnecting with nature. And and through that, of course, taking care of nature and our planet. That's that's the heart of my work.
1: Many of the people who listen to us are in education, but uh, as uh, as we talked a little bit about before before we hit record, we'd like to take the conversation beyond education to see the connections there. I'll ask you the question that I ask every guest, um, and we'd love to hear your perspective. How do you define learning? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, a, a wonderful, broad uh, term, isn't it? I think for me, there's a starting point, which is
0: about positive development. How do we grow as people, as society, in useful ways? Um, and, and immediately, I think the frame of that for our generations is very different because we're the first generations to really be presented with the fact that our conventional story of of growing, maybe let's say even say learning, is is part of a story of causing harm to our bigger system. So so I think, what are we learning towards becomes a really big question now. And I think for me, there's something else around how learning is about what we're learning about but also how we're learning. And a lot of my work takes me into organizations. It takes me into communities. It takes me into um spaces where we're trying to influence systems whether it's a financial system or an urban system or a or a social system and it's that's the space where i think real learning happens when as people we start to ask questions of not just what are we trying to change here but how are we trying to work together to change it and and
1: learning is an ongoing evolving social process for me in, in that context. And one of the things that we've talked about recently with our last, uh, I think, a few guests has been Carol Sanford and uh, Daniel Christian Naval and uh, talking about this idea of living systems and, and regeneration, about building capacity within the living system and not seeing humans at the center, really, and, and, and just, just working within that system. Tell us a little bit about your work with the BioLeadership Project and, and how you um, uh, uh, work with those systems. How, how you how you try to make uh, thinking change. How, how you try to move thinking towards um, uh, the direction in which hopefully um, you know we're, we, we could go to, to to resolve some of the issues that we that we might have. A starting point is to say a lot of the way that we've
0: developed the world, and I think it starts in education and it follows through in in human development, in businesses, in academic context and so on Um, and then through professional lives I I feel like um, there's this idea of constant growth it's at the heart of it like constantly make it bigger do it better well do it better in a a kind of maximizing way make it go faster Um, there's a really interesting project called the great acceleration project that charts the rate of change the rate of of um acceleration in so many factors human social but also um um geological you know and and things like uh okay we're, we're building more dams we're using more paper we're communicating more it's things have got exponentially faster over the last 60 70 years so so there's a story of growing faster there's a story of um competing of uh You know, seeing exam tables and then results tables and then profit tables and then growth tables. And we've become very uh, siloed and individualistic in how we move through life, I think. Um, And then there are other stories. There's a story, I think, of of this connection, of cultivating, of living a worldview in which we feel that as individuals, we are separate to each other, we are separate to nature perhaps in th- within ourselves we've even become disconnected from the whole of ourselves so so that that's <clears throat> i find it a helpful starting point because it's almost like that's what's brought us to this point that's what's brought us to this point now what if we could define human growth progress learning innovation all of these broad terms through a different set of qualities and so um To bring it back to the system question that you asked, in nature, a healthy system operates through a process of of optimization rather than maximization. That means you recognize that there are different aspects of the system, different parts, but those parts are in relationship with each other and those parts help each other stay in a healthy shape. So they're constantly growing and they are competing But a magical thing about a healthy natural system is that the system keeps itself in healthy shape. In nature, if anything, maximizes, so if any one part of a system maximizes, effectively it becomes like a cancer. It just sort of um, uh, grows, takes over the system, and then the whole system will collapse. The way, and then, you know, there are deeper aspects, like for example, that that aspect of, um, well, uh, Extraction is something I didn't mention. You know, I think we've I think we've also cultivated a worldview of, of extraction and consumption and disposal in straight lines. We don't have it inside of us anymore that things happen in cycles. Um so, so bio leadership is about saying how can we rekindle that sense of life as living systems? How do we put energy into relationships as much as end goals? How do we rekindle that sense of circularity, of things happening in cycles? But also, how do we rekindle a sense of um, being connected, um, carrying a worldview of uh, being interconnected with other people, with other parts of life, with with nature itself? And what's amazing for me is that maybe even four years ago, when I set up um, the Bioleadership Project, or when, when a few of us came together to start to grow it, um, all of that might still have sounded quite wacky and esoteric and woo-woo. We, you know, it comes up every now and again. But now, all of a sudden, people are going, yeah, of, of course we should be working with nature. Of course we should be working with principles of sustaining life. Um, and every day that passes, it feels like that narrative of very mechanistic reductionist thinking is just feels more and more outdated and dusty on a shelf. Um, And doing it with life, with nature feels really creative, necessary, urgent, um, and absolutely critical for for our times.
1: And what do you think shifted? I mean, it would be easy to say COVID shifted everything, and I'm sure that's been part of it. But the hole in the ozone there was something people talked about decades ago. That seems to be at least in a little bit of a better shape. But what has shifted so that people are more willing to embrace uh, more of a quantum view rather than this you know deterministic mechanistic view of the world it, it, it takes more than seeing news reports of the planets burning what what's changed in your mind? It's so true because
0: the the science has
1: been there for a long
0: time. Um, you know the IPCC reports as you say they every time they're more pressing and urgent but um. Those facts have been there for a while. The science has been there for a while. I suppose an aspect of it is yes. You know, probably it was the IPCC report before this one that said 95% of scientists are in agreement that climate change is human-made. I I feel like... Oh, yeah, I mean, where to start with it? I, I feel like there's clearly a growing kind of... Middle class around the world who has this aspiration of used to call it 2.4 children, no, you know, like a nice house, a couple of cars, a good education, you know, everything you want to consume, you can have the holidays and stuff like that. That's obviously sort of very far reaching and, and a way of being in the world. But I feel like there's a category like, like so many people feel like that's not the root of meaning. Like so many people feel like a dissonance between the way we're going about in the world and the impact that we're having on the world. And I think people are starting to recognize. So if you combine combine that with the science, you combine that with that heart um, and body awareness that something is not right. I feel like that's, that's there. And then of course, you know, I'm thinking, Thinking of education, if you start to think about the world that you want to leave for future generations and you hold those things together, I think that's starting to wake more and more people up to, to doing things differently. Maybe that's not a nice way to say it, but to give, to create a sense of um, impetus
1: in, in to do things differently. And what, what you're making me think and what the, the themes that uh, come into my mind, and maybe it's because once you see them, you kind of recognize the pattern or, or you just notice them more, but it's bringing together this, just like you say, that this, this, this spirituality is the wrong word, but maybe some of the ancient wisdom, some maybe of the First Nations wisdom, this idea of interconnectedness, of, 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 um, uh, of all coming from the same place, which is substantiated and backed up by the science, by quantum, by, by, by global science. It, two things that would seemingly be completely dis, disassociated, as far apart as possible, are together. I mean, we talked a little bit uh, in our previous conversation about Jeremy Lent in, in, in his book uh, *Web of Meaning*, how how he brings ancient wisdoms and 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 the, you know modern science. That's something that's never happened in the past when there have been moments of spirituality or, or spiritual growth. I mean, this yeah, absolutely. I suppose it's connected to the point I'm making about meaning that. It,
0: it's interesting, actually, if I track my own career, which is, you know, I've been doing this kind of stuff for 20 years, I suppose. And some of it has been about purposeful organizations, which is what brought me to bioleadership and purposeful towards the planet. But I think a lot of it has also been looking at, like I remember um, here in the UK, um, uh, somebody called Lord Layard put out a, a paper on happiness. And effectively it was the moment where said you know despite economic growth people are not necessarily happier in the world and that that's it's interesting i didn't i didn't think we'd talk about that in this conversation but it's, that's under the surface all of the time that people are striving for happiness and meaning and well-being and um that's only one step away from calling it spirituality <laughs> you know that's only one step away from calling it into like i need to connect to something that's bigger um And and so I didn't say this at the start, but the heart of a lot of my work is guiding what I call nature quest processes, where I help people to prepare to be alone in nature in a way that's less about um, an expedition and conquering things, but more finding stillness to observe patterns in nature, both in outer nature, i.e. the ecosystem around them, but also their own inner nature you know what are the things that they experience about themselves and see themselves it's an amazing process it's so so honest and uh uncomplicated and um authentic in that when you're doing it for yourself you've got yourself and your truths and your feelings and that's it you know like there's no there's no dressing it up in any other way and it's staggering how helpful it is for people, how beautiful it is. People remember what's important in their lives. People uh, find a different set of perspective on the problems and challenges that they're facing. I do see this sense of, do you know, I remember I'm not as big as I thought I was in a, in a good way because I remember that I'm part of something bigger. And I see people come back with brighter eyes and a, and a deep sense of well being. And, and that, that, We just came back from doing one of those processes just five days ago, actually, and it always surprises me. I mean, I'm amazed that I'm still so surprised and amazed at how good it is. That that is the route that um, feels so useful for people now, coming back to the spiritual world. Well, that fundamentally was a spiritual process for people, even though we didn't talk about it, and that shifts their attitude towards how they're approaching life and
1: work. Which is completely different from a solutions-based cognitive, uh, how to um, approach of, of trying to fix oneself uh, buying books and, and and following a task list uh, and and keeping it in the cognitive it's allowing for that that connection between uh, our mind our heart and in our surroundings our environment um, which which we cannot disconnect from um, it's just too bad that spirituality has such a bad name to it now people just you know push it away do, do you do you find that in your work the the word spirituality is just too loaded to use
0: yeah do you know it actually even came up just four days ago because with the group we were with we we took some time to sort of have a nice conversation around a, a table outside and and by a lake it was a really lovely context and setting just to chat about what we've been doing and um you know it's wonderful we we're, we're having folks join the Bioleadership fellowship and do bioleadership programs from advertising backgrounds, from media backgrounds, from from spaces where they're sort of really looking to shift and to challenge the spaces that they've been in, the consumer-driven spaces they've been in, and then, and people struggle with spiritual, the word spiritual. And and if I'm honest, I shared that when I started do, doing some of my deeper guiding work in nature, and I studied with uh indigenous elders, spiritual teachers, um, people like Thich Nhat Hanh, who is um uh you know, I think one of the biggest proponents of mindfulness and in the world today. Um I, I said, yeah, I, I struggle with the word spiritual, but what I'm interested in is the world word wholeness. And um because it's that it almost comes back to that definition of learning. What is it to connect to something more than ourselves? What is that point where in In growing as people, we also choose to do something that's that's good for the whole and I, I feel like there are interesting conversations about what purpose means and what meaning means, what is it to live a good life? where if we connect to something that helps us do good for the whole, then that that enriches us that that fills us so so but yeah, finding culturally finding ways to help people do that for themselves without without it being off putting is a kind of interesting dance, really. Um, uh, in the same conversation, um, I shared uh, uh, something that I learned from a woman called uh, she's called Grandmother Lane, and she's based in New Mexico, a First Nations wisdom keeper, and. Um, friend of mine called Jennifer Manke, who studied with her for a long time and introduced us and grandmother Lanay said to me um everything everything is sacred in that in that worldview in her worldview everything is sacred you know your microphone it came from the earth somebody transported it to put food on their table this conversation is made possible through that microphone so there's a way of tuning into that microphone so that it's it's sacred Um, Oh, spiritual is the moment that we remember that. Spiritual is the moment when we remember something is special. Simple as that. Uh, Religion is when something is prescribed to do it. And she said, "That's not what we want." (laughs) So spirituality—that's prescriptive and uh, dogmatic, and so on and so on. That's what tips things to the wrong way. But remembering life is special. Learning, living, growing together, with an intention of of seeing life as a gift and something beautiful. Um, yeah, you could probably do a little more of that, do you reckon? <laughs> and,
1: and this is exactly why we wanna have these conversations because so many uh, podcasts that, that cater towards education are about uh, uh, so, some very meaningful work and, and so some great stuff about, uh, you know, making it more student-centered and giving more agency and, and, and all these uh, uh, words that are uh, not specific to education, but certainly bandied around. But what seems to me to be one of the key to moving, I don't want to say moving forward because that, that entails a, a linearity to to to, to, to time, but um, in order to address some of the real problems is, is, is to, 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 to have kids connect with nature. Uh, you know, Richard Lou talks about the nature deficit disorder, about connections to each other, not seeing differences. Um, and, and, and starting at a very young age, uh, you know, which is to me much more helpful and helpful than you know preparing them for for exams or whatever it might be and and, and 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 although it's it's very invoked to say you know exams are not useful and you know content is is uh, not what it used to be it, it goes beyond when we really think about connecting with nature with each other and and as you say s- seeing that we are part of a whole and that whole is itself part of a bigger whole yeah definitely definitely i mean th- th- there is another there
0: is a bridging Point with all of this, perhaps, where because I, you know, there's a there's a pragmatist in me that says, well, to what end? Like, what, what is it? What is it that we're learning here? Na- nature connection, wholeness, some of the things that we're talking about. Yeah, and what? And I think that's valid to sort of explore that more, um, and and for it to be not in the, not to disregard then other forms of learning that have been so so prevalent. So, so the point I'm making is. What is it to kind of call out some of the things that the world needs practically for us to navigate this moment in time? Like, so therefore, what are the tools, skills, qualities that we should help humanity grow? And, and then that's where in the bio-leadership project, we'll say things like, well, we the world needs resilience. You know, COVID perhaps is just one, maybe even small example of some of the things that are coming up. In, coming um decades you know like big shocks to our systems so we need to cultivate resilience in the world adaptability you know it's a, there's that term I don't know if you come across it much but it's vuca the, the world is increasingly recognized as volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous we need to equip ourselves to be adaptable um we need systemic awareness you know things are non-linear and uh, problems increasingly more um uh, difficult to predict, and and well, it comes back to that sense of uh, any challenge that we're looking at in the world, whether it's poverty, um, food, sustainable food sources, crime, immigration. Those issues are all systemic. We need to be able to see things systemically, um, and then I and then I would say there are things like um, wonder. <laughs> we want we want you know to help people live life um in a way where we feel full and thriving is in the context of what i would say is a is a mental health epidemic as well so you know if you've got adaptability resilience systemic awareness um connection love as things we want to grow you have to do those things through experience We, we can't teach those things we can't grow those things by putting them into a textbook and teaching them in a kind of prescriptive or or, um, propositional way. We have to create experiences where we live them. And and the nature is an extraordinary guide and teacher in in helping us learn about those things. Um, So, yeah, that's where I think really pragmatically, I think we say, well, we can't rely on the dashboard that the world has had for so long on speed, productivity, efficiency, intellectual intelligence, and so so um, we need this whole other suite of skills to help us navigate and grow in the world
1: now. I'll, I'll pick up on that word pragmatic because that's really, in many ways, the big issue because we can't talk in theory, we can't talk in this and it wouldn't be great, but but it has to be real on the ground. And one of the things that schools are using and, and gosh, um, the corporates are using and it's, we're hearing that that seems to be a common ground of the sustainable development goals and a lot of people are really seeing that it's going to be the thing that's you know towards which we can work now we have our views uh, on this podcast about the sdgs um i i'm interested to see how how they fall within within your framework and, and what your reaction to them are yeah it's i mean it's a
0: big question of course because they they, they are used in different ways by different people um and with with just days to go to COP in Glasgow, it's obviously really prevalent. Um, I feel like the SDGs are a really important marker in helping people connect to collaborate in different ways. You know, the SDGs give something tangible to say, look, there's a need here in the world, we can move towards it. Um, I feel like they're limited in the sense that they can be interpreted in a very siloed way. Uh, Because the nature of these challenges, as I said before, you know, whether it's poverty, food, health, um, they're systemic. Um, So they, they use, my view is that they're useful and it's about the creativity that people bring to collaborating and working with each other in different ways to move towards them. And I, and I think probably they are, the, the metaphor that comes to mind is uh, pace setters. You know, like if you were to be running a, a race and you've got someone who, who's showing you the tempo that you should be going at. They're a little bit like that, but in a way we need, we need people to do even more. <laughs> To go even beyond. And and then the the other the other thing that comes to mind is it's a quote that I often use actually um Christiana Figueres who of course was so instrumental in helping the Paris Agreement and and the definition of so many of those SDGs. Um I heard her in a podcast recently where I'm paraphrasing a little but she said it's the convergence of solutions that we need because Uh, treating things individually hasn't got us very far i.e if we just carry on working in silos towards single goals then that that's not going to be enough we need ways to sort of collect goals together or collect action and and work more systemically yeah i'm curious if that makes sense actually
1: Uh, it does make sense and and the 17th one pretty much is that right to bring everything together uh, or something like that and and it does provide a safe enough place uh, to get people to, to to come together. I mean, that, that's that's a lot of what what you know what what we say on on, on this podcast and our blogs. It's an anchor. Uh, it's a safe place because if you start to talk to people about regeneration and about quantum views, you just lost them. They're gone. Um, and so. Uh, we we kind of use this this um, this this story of, of of what the Buddha said is that uh, you know if you want to cross the river to to the island of enlightenment you use a raft but once you get to the river to the to the to the island you lose the raft and and so it, it helps us move in the right direction but then um, you know the fact that that only three of them have anything to do with 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 nature uh, the rest are very anthropocentric. Um, we're particularly concerned with education, where if you unravel them, the word nature doesn't come up once in education, and that's troublesome. Um, however, at least the conversation is being had, and and, and that's a positive, and, and there is a little bit of a alignment, if not coherence, uh, in the direction.
0: Yeah, that feels right to me. That metaphor of the raft is really useful. And, and I also feel like uh, there's something about the point – I mean, we're having lots of conversations at the moment, and and we ourselves, because I'm in the UK, are in the middle of thinking, well, there's a possibility I'll go up and do something at an event near COP. It won't be in the main spaces. Um, And you ask yourself, what what change can we do? What can we do differently? What really will emerge from from COP? And some people neutrally would say, well, it's only about some set It's only about a certain level of conversation that's happening at COP. What really? What there's a lot of energy around it, but what what will happen differently? And so for me, it feels like if COP is a really big big ship, <laughs> there are so many other rafts around it. Like there's all of these different rafts are going to start finding ways to connect. I mean, I I'm sure of this actually. People are finding ways to connect and innovate that are w- so creative, so interesting, so brilliant whether it's around energy local food sources you know new organizing structures um um you know justice power like there's some brilliant things happening and yeah it's not about the big ship it's helping it's and it's changing the, the waves but there are so many other good things going on and that's where we want to put a lot of energy as well.
1: And as you said, it's a system, right? Everything's connected. Uh, struggles for energy, struggles for food, they're all the same. T- tell us specifically about the BioLeadership Project and what it is that you guys set out to do, what it is that you guys have achieved, uh, who's part of it, who can be part of it. Um, just just your story. Great. Right. yeah.
0: Well, a little like the metaphor of these rafts, actually. Um, you know, the starting premise is There's that story of leadership. There's a story, a narrative of human. I mean, leadership in the broader sense possible. I definitely don't mean the sort of a a heroic individual charging ahead, being followed by others. I mean, how do we lead society? How do we lead humanity? And and how do we change the story of that form of leadership so that it's fit for a world we want to live in, and world for future generations, and our and life on planet. So. the model, interestingly, is, is what we say is that it's actually the intention and what is emerging more and more every day is it's an ecosystem of people and projects demonstrating new ways of working in that way or working towards that way of working. Um, and, it you know, if, if my mental image of it genuinely is like the mycelium, that lovely um, sort of network of, threads connecting nutrients and information beneath the soil of the forest. It's it's like a human mycelium where people can carry questions and challenges and can help each other in different ways. And practically that looks like three main propositions. So um, at the very beginning of this year or late last year, we, we launched a fellowship. So we have a, a global bioleadership fellowship and that consists of people who are working towards some form of change by working with nature Um, uh, and people from many walks of life. We've got people, you know, somebody who's working with young people who've experienced uh, um, violence in South Africa. And at the same time, we've got somebody from uh, Natura, one of the biggest B Corps in the world in Brazil. We've got people working with the oceans in Europe. Um, We've got people working to take plastics out of sport in the netherlands like a really beautiful mix of people from all around the world so the fellowship is that it's a program and the community helping to connect bio leaders around the world then the second thing that we do is we work with um specifically systems change projects so we're saying how can we approach a field or a sector and help change happen in that space by working more deeply with nature and and what we call bio leadership so one of the systems projects that we're working on at the moment is actually on the field of organizational development and leadership. We're saying, what are the, how can we help the people who are developing leaders and giving advice to organizations? How can we help them to take more of a stand for the earth? And that's kind of quite cool. It feels like a sort of social lab and a series of gatherings and events and conversations and roundtables with interesting people. Um, and more and more, it will include the immersions in nature. Uh, we've got one of those happening in the design space coming up soon as well. And then, and then we, do, we do work directly with organisations. And so um, before the pandemic and just starting now, I was advising and supporting some stuff in, in Patagonia, the outdoor uh, clothing and equipment company here in Europe. Because um, what they're doing is, is so valuable. Their, their story of standing up for the planet. And challenging progress is really, really good. And so we help them in a kind of consultancy and, and facilitative way. But the reason I mention that is because for me, there's something about if we can help another 10 organizations be like Patagonia in the next two, three years, or if we can inspire another 50 organizations be like Patagonia, then that's part of the ecosystem. It's this web of people not questioning this work, but you know, carrying it on their heart and their sleeves and really going
1: out and changing things. It, it seems to me everything you've said in terms of uh, working um, with with leadership models, with with people connected with each other, um, working with organizations to recognize that they're interconnected, the systems, also maybe influencing through the work, through, through by maybe by showcasing, I mean, I mean, kind of bringing things, you know, um, uh, together you said. All that, all, all that could happen with schools as well. Having students take on that leadership piece having school leaders teachers uh connecting within schools throughout the world um influence each other it, it's a, it's a model that is really flexible and can itself spill over into into many other areas across across the age it, it's not exclusive to to the to to the world of adults By by no
0: means uh, absolutely absolutely i mean there are two there are two things actually that come to mind again to, to a little practical. We, we've got a thing called the BioLeadership Map that says that there are different kinds of stories of how people are changing things with nature, and you could apply this to education. You know, so first part of the BioLeadership Map says you can change what you measure, and you can change your definition of progress inspired by nature. So if it's not maximization, if it's not being the best at technical subjects alone what would your measure of success be really connected to nature and to life that's one part of the story another story is um we can change our organizing structures um inspired by nature so it doesn't have to be hierarchies where we put the emphasis on knowledge at the top and implicitly there's a lot of power there as well isn't there so it doesn't have to be a hierarchy it can be a network a connected network that organizes through different principles where information, knowledge, inspiration are exchanged in different ways. We can learn about that. There's another story which is about, um, we can work more like ecosystems, you know? We can see ourselves not just as standalone institutions or organizations, we can connect with other kinds of organization and collaborate in more dynamic ways inspired by nature. I mean, the more you look into nature, the more you see that that's that prominent organising principle. Everything is interconnecting with everything else all of the time. We're so far away from that as human systems, of course. Um, you can be regenerative is the fourth story. You can give back rather than just take. And the last one is you can cultivate cultures of connection. Um, and you feel it. You And I've come across... Um, stories of schools don't ask me which one now but i've had people say yeah i know of a school who's doing this where the wor- work that is happening is at that worldview level to support that sense of yeah we're part of something bigger here and we're part of nature as well i think all of those things could happen more and more in education
1: and we do as well uh and uh, we think that just like you're saying that a lot of people are looking uh for meaning and purpose for themselves and and as we build the capacity of people to find their place within the greater meaning and purpose of the earth and, and, and of the, the living system of which we are part, um, they, they, they want that for their kids. And they, they want their kids to, to, to thrive in that kind of system rather than in the the the, the, the meritocratic, you know, torture treadmill that is um, that is, you know, work hard at school, work hard at university, work hard at work, and then retire, um, completely disconnected. Um, I, I'm going to ask you, what what's on your mind? Uh, it's a little bit like the et cetera section. Uh, what are some of the things you're looking forward to? What are the things that you are still, you know, bringing, coming together in your head? Uh, what are you thinking uh, for, for yourself in the near and uh, maybe not so near future? <laughs> what a great question. What am I thinking? I'm really excited about our fellowship. You know, we we
0: advertised recently that the second cohort will start in, in March next year, and we're already seeing it amazing. I mean, I'm getting so much um, joy and inspiration from seeing people from all around the world connect and say, yes, I'm ready to do more with nature. Um, so I have to say that that's I'm, I'm really enjoying a moment of seeing that manifest and, and grow. Um, I'm really enjoying thinking about uh, more physical events. For me, you know, someone who, I call it the well. My my well and the well that I help others with is, is the experience of going deeply into nature and listening. And with the pandemic, of course, that was very difficult to do. But there's going to be so much more of that um, next year. Um, and I'm really enjoying seeing and learning that this now is a movement it's not just sort of something that i was carrying in my head and other people around the world are carrying in their head but the team that i work with conversations like this it feels like we're really connecting threads and um really doesn't feel hard to wake up in the morning and keep going Uh, it just really feels like collectively we're doing something really needed and special and um I'm I'm positive at the same time I'm a realist and I think we've got some really tough times ahead as humanity it's I think it's too too late to slow or turn the boat around we just have to carry consciousness wonder beauty love resilience care with us and with into our next generations to help them move through it but we've got to get ready and that's what really I get a lot of energy from thinking I'm helping
1: that. That's absolutely beautiful. And, um, and you, you give me like, you know, you make my, my chest feel tight by saying that. I mean, that's passing it on to the, to the next generations and, and preparing them and equipping them as, as, as best we can. Um, I'll, I'll ask you one very last question um, as we try to build up our library and, and uh, pump others for ideas of what they're reading. Uh, what, what are you reading right now?
0: I'm, I'm Slowly, I'm reading um, The Ministry of the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is coming up a lot, and I have to say it's uh, absolutely fascinating because it's a, a forecasting of the world in the coming 10 to twenty so, so, so the 25 years and the imagination to think of, but at the same time the possibility of so many of the things that he talks about and the reality connected with what I've just said, of like what we might see in the world. It feels really useful. Um, uh, So I'm I'm reading that at the moment. I'm going back to some old Taoist texts. Um, Taoism is something that I found really, really helpful. Um, There's something else. I always end up reading two or three things at the same time. There's something lighter I'm reading, and I can't can't quite remember what it is now. (laughs) I'll have to go back to my to my little stack on the desk, but I'll leave it with know.
1: now. Beautiful. Thank you. Listen, Andres, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you, uh, you contributing and, uh, and all your thoughts and, uh, and words of inspiration. Oh, uh, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. And um, yeah, w- looking forward to staying connected. You've been listening to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud. If you like us, subscribe, leave us five stars. And check out Intrepid Ed News on www.intrepidednews.com. There's some great articles there, um, including from Coconut Thinking. And our blog is on www.coconut-thinking.design. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. Leave a comment. Reach out to us. We love hearing from you. We love engaging in conversation um, and opening up doors to, again, the systemic view of the world. Again, it's the Coconut Thinking podcast. We look forward to having you here soon. Next time. Uh, We will talk about Zen leadership, uh, which will complement this podcast with Andres Roberts on bio-leadership. See you soon.